Hi, I'm Jacqueline Freeman. And I'm Sarah Korn. You're listening to Kitchen Table Alchemy, living in full color. This is a podcast for people who see and spread the magical in everyday life. So welcome to this very special um, Kitchen Table Alchemy. We are gathered around different kitchen tables today (laughs) and going into new uh, technological territory as I am in San Francisco right now and Sarah is in Phoenix and we're doing this by phone. So welcome. Yeah, hopefully the, I know the sound quality is probably not going to be quite as good as usual, but um, hopefully we can still uh, get everything to work and have another great episode. Yeah, I hope so. So it'll still be hanging out with your buddies. We're just hanging out with your buddies on a conference call. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, around the cozy fires of GoToMeeting. So so I thought we really wanted to make sure that we got a February cast, uh, uh, especially since, you know, I'm a relationship alchemist. Then um, the stuff that's happening in February has a lot to do with my business. But um, uh, what was it, like a week or so ago, I guess? Um, There's a new program on Netflix called Chelsea Does, um, and it's this woman, Chelsea, I can't remember her, what is her last name? Handler. Uh, she's a comedian, that sounds right. Yeah, um, I'm looking at a, it on Netflix. <laughs> okay, got it. It's so, a documentary um, she, series too, so I thought it was fiction, it but it's not. Yeah, no, it's a documentary series. So she's, she's a comedian, apparently she had a late night show for a while, she's supposed to be like the queen of mean girls or something like this. Um, so Jason was all surprised that I wanted to watch the episode anyway because of this, because I tend to not really like Mean Girls. But um, uh, but we watched it, and the first one in the series was Chelsea Does Marriage. So the kind of backdrop is apparently she has always been very anti-marriage. At, at one point in the show, she was saying, well, I've got more. She's at a bachelorette. And she's telling these women that are also excited about being married and getting married. Um, and she's telling them that she doesn't really do marriage and that her personality is more divorce. Than, than <laughs> wow. marriage. What is yeah, that the mean? Look on these, I know, right? Like the look on these 19 year old girls faces was totally cracking me up um, <laughs> when she said that. But uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about from the show that I think a lot, um, I think a lot of women can really relate to was okay so apparently she's always been kind of anti-marriage and uh, now she's starting to think differently like hey maybe I need to re-examine this right um and so she talks to all these different people about marriage she's also having like sessions with a therapist um about ideas around marriage and um one of the things that people kept saying like people that knew her were like yeah you know any guy for Chelsea is going to have to be really strong. <laughs> Any guy for Chelsea's got to be really strong-willed, you know, like, yeah. it, it, and there was, uh, and it just, I don't know, it kind of got in my craw because it's kind of crap people used to say about me all the time. Mm. Um, and there was one guy that had said, and this I was like, okay, I like, that sounds nice, which, and it's true, right? Because the way they were saying it was like, Oh, he's like got to put looking... up with her. It takes a tough guy to put up with her kind of thing. Thank you. Yeah. Like like the male unicorn that can handle, you know, 
like some guy that's going to be able to handle her strength, right? Like this kind of stuff. Um, and there was one guy that said, the guy for Chelsea will have to be turned on by her power. Mm. Um, and I was like, okay, that's true, right? Yeah. Um, that's true. But I think the the kind of underlying narrative of this, yeah, he's going to have to be really strong to put up with her crap, being the, the sort of unspoken thing that comes after he's going to have to be really strong, right? Um, the... Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, the sort of unspoken narrative underneath that is that guys don't like strong women. Right. And um, and this is this thing that people say all the time, and this is this thing that women buy into all the time, and then right. the women push under. Right. They try and to then, not be too intimidating for the men, or, you know, oh, i got to kind of back back it off a little bit so that they'll be okay right. with me. Right. And then, like, how does that play out in a for real life, everyday relationship? Right. Yeah. Well, you yeah, I mean? anytime, anytime someone is having to be more or less or different than who they are is it's going to cause problems. And not only is it going to cause problems, problems for that person, but also for whoever they're in a relationship with. And then if both people yeah, are doing absolutely. it, then it gets really complicated. <laughs> Right. Well, then you turn into all this passive aggressive crap. Yeah. Right. Because you're not standing in your power. I mean, I think that's the thing is that when we don't fully stand in our power, mm-hmm. it's always there. We know it's always there. And so we're sublimating it. And so it comes out in these really petty, passive aggressive, unhealthy kind of ways, or where we're always trying to pull power off one or suck someone else's power down yeah well if i can't be in my power then you can't be in your power either ah right yeah yeah right yeah it's really really and um and i just i just don't buy into the idea that men don't like strong women it's not been my experience yeah (laughs) obviously me (laughs) and the guys that like strong women like it's a turn on for them right so yeah but I don't, I don't think guys like being babysitters yeah that's a good point and so either just, women either you know because sometimes women have that oh the woman has to like nag the husband to get him to do something or or to you know like treat him like a kid or something like that and um so it's, uh, you know, I don't think women like that either. You know, even if the woman is the one who's quote unquote wearing the pants in the relationship, it's still, right. you know, that's not necessarily a good thing for her. Even if she is the one who's in charge or is running the relationship, that also means that all the pressure is on her and she's the one who has to be the nag. And I mean, I know that's one thing I can't stand in relationships of having oh, to be the one who's telling the guy like here's what you need to do like no i don't feel like i should need to do that you know i mean sharing thoughts and opinions is one thing but not having to tell them what to do you know what i mean i do but it depends on the personality as far as that stuff is concerned though oh really so like in our relationship i'm i'm an end intuitive so i'm like big picture thinker and kind of can jump from one idea to the next and see how things connect really easily. Mm-hmm. And Jason, he's got a sensing preference. 
So that's like ground level, step by step. Just tell me the next thing to do. Right. Oh, okay. Hmm. So he, like, if I, um, if I give him like a long list of things to do, like it just overwhelms and then he doesn't know what to do anymore. Oh. And that's really typical um, for that personality type. So, um, so it's like limit choices. So one of the strategies that you would use when you have an N and an S together is for the N to limit choices so that the S can make a decision and then to like one by one. So things like, task boards or things like that work really well mm-hmm. um because he's more than happy like just tell me what to do and i'll do it like he's he's very helpful and he's a total partner but just because of the way his personality is put together he he, he doesn't generally see the big picture for stuff like that and i'm, I'm the one that does that comes really natural for me so it really depends on the personality you know and i think um, knowing the difference between personality and someone just not taking agency in the house is a different or two different things. If that uh, makes any sense. How, how, how would you differentiate the two? You know, if, like if you were working with a couple and how would you know that, you know, it was just a difference in style versus, you know, um, pe- you know, people pushing things down or not sort of acting in a, an authentic way. <sighs> Hmm. That's a really good question. I think in the beginning it may be difficult because if, to tell the difference because if somebody isn't being communicated with in a style that works for their personality, then resentment may build up, right? Like mm-hmm. they may feel inside, hey, I'm an equal partner here. I, I've always told you that I want to help you, but if you don't tell me how to help you, then I don't know what to do. And so they're just going to check out and watch television. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? So in the beginning there may be resistance and resentment and things like that because they're being accused of not being invested when they are and they don't know what mm-hmm. to do about it. So they just shut down. Right. Right. Yeah. Beginning it could look similar, but after you understand those differences in personality, then you can start working with that so that it's things like, and, and I have to really watch this because when I'm stressed out, I want to do like a brain dump and just say everything that needs to be done and then not have to think about it anymore because for me to put mine into like a step-by-step bullet point stresses me out. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So if I'm already, uh, I want to do a brain dump, but then that brain dump overwhelms Jason mm. because of personality. So, so things like writing lists for me to do a brain dump on a piece of paper instead of at him. <laughs> right. Right. So list, and then he goes through the list. And like, if I put stars next to things that have to be done first or whatever, um, then that's going to work a little bit better. So, and I think after you know how to communicate with one another, then the not being best invested in the partnership versus personality difference is going to come up in somebody's like willingness and, and or resentment about doing things. Mm-hmm. Does yeah. that make sense? And, and you know what I was thinking of too, when you were uh, speaking earlier was that, um, you know, because we're talking about how if, you know, one person isn't standing in their power, neither is the other one. And then there's all this passive aggressive stuff going on um, yeah. that that, um, you know, it reminds me uh, when I was younger and I decided at one point that um, uh, that telling lies just wasn't worth 
um, it wasn't worth it because you had to like keep track of what lies you had told and who you had told them to. And then if someone found out, then all this bad stuff happened. And, and I finally just came to the conclusion that whatever you were going to get away with by telling the lie just wasn't worth all of the trouble and the complication that came from telling the lie, that it was just easier just to tell the truth and and not have to deal with all that complexity. And so I, I feel like the same idea is true with relationships. You know, if you can just stand in your power and be who you are and not try to be someone else, then, you know, it's just makes things so much less complicated in relationships. It really does. It really, really does. No, it's true. It's like that same, you can use the energy trying to shove yourself underground and then deal with the resentment and everything that's a natural natural result of that, right? Mm-hmm. Or you can use the energy to have difficult conversations when, you know, something, when, when standing in your own power, you know, right. uh, means you have to negotiate a different space with somebody instead of pretending like that's not who you are. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, totally. And, and no, I totally. Think- and it, like, okay, I either write a list to be like in this this idea of like helping each other out with chores or or splitting household tasks and things like that, right? I can either take the time to write a list out so that I don't overwhelm Jason with a brain dump, or we can bicker and fight because he's not doing stuff that, and I don't feel like I'm being helped. Right. Do you know? Do, I can either make it easy for him to help me or I can bitch and whine that I'm not being helped. I mean, one of the, you know, (laughs) either way is going to require some effort on your part. Exactly. Exactly. Either way requires effort on my part. Like that's just pretty much what it comes down to at the end of the day. So I can use that energy to bring us closer together and, and work towards what I want, or I can use that energy to play martyr. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, I think, most of us have more examples um, throughout our life of people playing the passive aggressive sort of stuff than really standing in their power. And so we're sort of oftentimes scared of having those hard conversations um, because we don't really have much experience having them or seeing other people have them. And so, you know, it's like that fear of the unknown. True. And I think we also have this idea of power that is really distorted, actually. How so? And I, I think I think this is one of the biggest problems. And, and I think it's also part of the reason that women 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 and evolved men have a hard time stepping into power is because we think power means power over or dominating someone. Mm, oh right. And we don't wanna if we're like, Well, I don't wanna be dominant. Yeah. Right. You think, you know, like extreme examples, someone like Donald Trump, just this blow hard, doesn't give a crap when anybody else thinks he's going to get his way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Kind of our idea of power means, right? Obscene money, obscene domination. Like that's what we think power means. Right. And if, that's if basically, power. if I have power, then somebody else is the victim. So if I'm the winner, somebody else has to be the loser. And you don't want right. to be in that kind of situation. Yeah, totally. Some people call it Viking and Viking or victim, right? That you're right. like living on this binary of Viking or victim. And the difference between that and power with is power with is what's going to work in relationships. Power over, obviously you have a, you have an abusive situation there. It depends, you know, 
right. where on the scale of abuse is going to be depending, but obviously there's a power differential. So, um, and the chance for power for abuse is going to be really terrible, but power with means I'm standing in my power. You're standing in your power and we're working together. Right. So it's empowering, I think, Rather than what, you know, people can say, oh, empowering, like we like that word. That sounds nice. Right. <laughs> that doesn't make us scared or, I mean, yeah, on a different level, it can maybe like, but it, but it doesn't have that like, ooh, no, I don't want to be one of those icky empowered people. Like that doesn't right. yeah. Mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's powerful, being power, when we say being powerful, then it does, it can evoke these really negative images for us a lot of time. So right. that power with, and, and power with standing in my own power means I, I need to be authentic. And to be authentic, I have to be okay with being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And when we, when we talk about power, we don't always think about power and vulnerability as being bedfellows. Right. They seem but like they are. opposites, but actually they go together. Right. Yeah. Because and if really- we think being being yeah, vulnerable is it takes a great deal of power. It does. It does. And um, I show the Brene Brown TED Talk to um, the students that I work with at the World Academy for the Future of Women when I'm in China. Mm-hmm. And um, and we have it with you know the Mandarin subtitles going across the bottom. And I realized that the subtitles were, and the whole point of that talk is that vulnerability does not equal weakness, Mm -hmm. right? So she spends a lot of time talking about vulnerability does not equal weakness. That's like one of the main thesis statements from that TED Talk. And I noticed that they were using the same characters for vulnerability as they were for weakness. Uh Uh-oh. So when... And I was so frustrated because I thought, okay, you think you can trust TED translation, right? Like, um, but so I wrote the characters on the board and I was like, what does this mean? And they said, it means weak. And so then we had a conversation about like, no, so let's talk. So being vulnerable means you don't have on armor. You're not guarded. Right. Do so you have to be weak to not have on armor? Like, who's the strong person on the battlefield, the one that's covered in armor or the person that just showed up? Right. So um, and so that kind of takes me back to the Chelsea does thing. Right. And this idea of like watching her. Um, I, so, again, like I don't buy the idea that men hate strong women or afraid of strong women or what I just not I don't and I know there's been studies that say they do and whatever like scientists find what they're looking for you have to you have to say this is what I'm going to find you're not going to find it I mean that's how that's that's how they they set up scientific method right so um so if there was someone that said men do like strong women then they would also find men that like strong women that's just the way it goes observer bias is very powerful so um so I don't think it's the strength that's the issue, but when you're watching her in that show, and I'm, I'm assuming you could see it in anything else you watch her do, she is terrified of vulnerability. Not just terrified of vulnerability, she scoffs vulnerability. Right. She scoffs vulnerability, and she's very, very judgmental. 
Why did now, you watch that? that <laughs> but but I think it's really important, right? Because I really want, and I know that we have a lot of people that are listening to this that can really understand this, like this idea of strength. Okay, she's a mean girl, and we think that means strong, mm. right? But she's she is so afraid of vulnerability that she scoffs it, and she's very very judgmental. And I think being judgmental is not the same as being strong. Well, you know, and actually thinking about, I really liked your, uh, what you said that vulnerability means that you don't have any armor on. And so if you think of someone who is, um, uh, if you, let's say you have two warriors, right. And one, uh, is so, um, so strong and they're, um, you know, they're in shape and they can do, you know, Kung Fu or whatever, like they're a good fighter. Someone like that doesn't necessarily need armor, right? Whereas if you have another person who their armor is their strength and if they lose the armor, you know, what is underneath is so weak that, you know, they can't fight without their armor, you know, that that's kind of how I see the difference is that, you know, some people, it's not so much that they're not strong under the armor. It's that they think they're not strong under the armor. Yeah. So they, the armor becomes a crutch. Right. They have to have the armor or they think they have to have it. And you can definitely see how like having the armor and becomes this crutch that can actually impede their ability to connect and um, and express the art in their case of war, right? But their craftsmanship, right? So, like, so it's really interesting, right? Like, and 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 so she's very very judgmental. Ju- judgment towards others is a form of armor. It's right. it's a way of attacking other people before they can attack us, right? And um. So she's really, really judgmental. She scoffs vulnerability and intimacy and connection and seems incapable of intimacy because she's so, like, against vulnerability and is so judgmental. Like, those things are very dangerous in relationships. Yeah. And anybody with a a healthy sense of self and healthy boundaries is going to stay very far away from being in an intimate situation with someone who is incredibly judgmental and scoffs at intimacy and vulnerability. Right. Of course. That's not a safe person to be with. Yeah. Absolutely. Like she might be funny to watch on a stage, but that is not safe to be with. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, so her and to really that, that she needs a man who's strong enough to uh, handle her or whatever her issue really is that who's going to want to be with someone who's that judgmental. Right. Yeah. So, so for her, it's like, okay, well, why do you feel so weak and threatened that you have to attack all the time? Right. Right. So yeah. For any woman that has heard, oh, well, you know, men don't like strong women. Like, okay, so it, where does your strength come from? Does your does your strength come from? the ability to to be yourself in front of someone and allow them to be themselves to, to enter into something when you don't know what's going to happen. Cause that's what vulnerability is. If we, if we know what's going to happen, we're not vulnerable because we already know the outcome. Right. Which is really kind of the same definition of faith, right? 
It's taking yeah. that step when you can't see the whole staircase. <laughs> and creativity, because the creativity is the same way. When you start a project, you don't know the outcome. Hmm. If you're trying something new, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So in this next section, I wanted to read the next little chapter um, out of Big Magic with Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, so we read the trickster versus martyr um, chapter for last episode. And so this next one is called Trickster Trust. Um, so I'll just go ahead and dig in here. I believe that the original human impulse for creativity was born out of pure trickster energy. Of course it was. Creativity wants to flip the mundane world upside down and turn it inside out, and that's exactly what a trickster does best. But somewhere in the last few centuries, creativity got kidnapped by the martyrs, and it's been held hostage in their camp of suffering ever since. I believe this turn of events has left art feeling very sad. It has definitely left a lot of artists feeling very sad. It's time to give creativity back to the tricksters, is what I say. The trickster is obviously a charming and a subversive figure, but for me, the most wonderful thing about a good trickster is that he trusts. It may seem counterintuitive to suggest this because he can seem so slippery and shady, but the trickster is full of trust. He trusts himself, obviously. He trusts his own cunning, his own right to be here, his own ability to land on his feet in any situation. To a certain extent, of course, he also trusts other people and that he trusts them to be marks for his shrewdness. But mostly, the trickster trusts the universe. He trusts in its chaotic, lawless, ever-fascinating ways. And for this reason, he does not suffer from undue anxiety. He trusts that the universe is in constant play and specifically that it wants to play with him. A good trickster knows that if he cheerfully tosses a ball out into the cosmos, that ball will be thrown back at him. It might be thrown down really hard, or it might be thrown back really crooked, or it might be thrown back in a cartoonish hail of missiles, or it might not be thrown back until the middle of next year, but that, bottle, that ball will eventually be thrown back. The trickster waits for the ball to return, catches it however it arrives, and then tosses it back out there into the void again just to see what will happen. And he loves doing it because the trickster, in all his cleverness, understands the one great cosmic truth that the martyr, in all his seriousness, can never grasp. It's all just a game. A big, <laughs> freaky, wonderful game. Which is fine because the trickster likes freaky. Freaky is his natural environment. The martyr hates Freaky. The martyr wants to kill Freaky, and in so doing, he all too often ends up killing himself. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's some tasty stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I've been uh, I've been working with that recently myself. You know, reminding myself that it's just a game. You know, you're you're here to have fun. You know, and and sometimes, uh, you know, I get so caught up in my expectations of how things are supposed to be that um, then when things don't go that way, I get really upset and start to worry and, and there's all this anxiety and, and blame and, and feeling yeah. like um, the world isn't a safe place. 
and so, so yeah, I've been uh, consciously trying to embrace more of that. Um, I didn't know it was trickster energy, but apparently that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love, so uh, Aaron Branham had posted in uh, Kitchen Table Alchemy under, one, I think it was a post I'd put up, but she, she put the clip of That's Opera, folks, from Looney Tunes. Um, which has Elmer Fudd doing the whole kill the wabbit, kill the wabbit, right? And then Bugs is <laughs> escaping that. Um, and I think you can see so much of this little clip, of this little section of the book in that clip, right? Like Bugs recognizes that, that Fudd is, is out to kill him, right? He recognizes uh-huh. that Fudd has this very powerful, he has all this power behind him because he brings the storm on, right? But even mm. seeing the magnificence and stretch of Fudd's power, and Fudd is a typical martyr in that, really. Um, even seeing, like, the stretch of that power, it doesn't seem to, I don't know if scare is the right word. It certainly doesn't seem to immobilize him or make him rigid anyway. Right, like he just gets super slippery. Do you know the clip? Did you see the the clip and thing, or do you know the clip I'm talking no, about? No, I didn't. I was just browsing to it as you're saying that, so I'll have to I'll have to watch it after we're so done it's, here. Yeah, it's the one. Um, and it's one of my favorite Looney Tunes. But they they do. It's an opera, right? So they're uh, Fudd is singing, and um, they've got several different like clips from arias that are playing in the background. Um, uh-huh. When you see it, you're gonna be like, "Oh yeah, that one." So, um, but it, so it kind of makes me think of like that. That's opera folks, Looney Tunes clip, and it also makes me think of "It's a Wonderful Life." Oh, how so? Not "It's a Wonderful Life." It's a beautiful life. La bella, la vita è bella. Oh, okay. Life is beautiful. I don't That's know that one. <laughs> I know. A oh my gosh! Life, but not "It's a Beautiful Life." <laughs> Okay, so uh, La Vita Ibella, it's an Italian film about this father and his son that get swept up by Nazis and put into a concentration camp. And so, again, it's this – so we're not talking about when things are light, right? We're talking in life-and-death situations here um, for for both of those clips, really. But uh, he convinces his son – that this is all a game as they're going to concentration camps. Oh my gosh, he, really? <laughs> he convinces his son that this is all a game. It's, it's such a beautiful film. I haven't seen it in a long time. I need to watch it again um, and watch it with this in mind, right? Because the whole, just the premise of it is so mind blowing. Um, and it was huge when it came out. God, I can't remember. It was in the 90s that it came out. Huh. But, yeah, he convinces his son that this is all a game and um, they're getting points and the soldiers are getting points. And, um, and there's one point where the little boy is like, this isn't fun. I don't want to do it anymore. Right. Oh, and right. I can't, yeah. I can't remember. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> At one point dad, you mean in the first five minutes? <laughs> I know. Right. But the dad is just so fantastic. At, uh, and, it, and it's trickster energy, I realize. Right. Like it's really, um, it's such a beautiful film and it's not something because I think a lot of times when people, and I know, and I know for me, this is one of the things that came up for me when we 
when we read the last little clip in our last episode, there's a few things about the trickster that my martyr upbringing are like, no, but that's bad. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that idea like, oh, it's all just a game. Like, I think there's this part of me that thinks people that have that attitude don't operate by harm none. So they'll, they'll hurt people and harm people and squash things and not have any respect for that because they think, oh, well, it's all a game, so I don't have to be careful. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So people are, and, we, and we talk about it in, in, in dating, right? Oh, this is all, you know, I don't want to play any games. You know, don't toy with me. Like, we, we do the same thing. It's really easy to see, like, how we see playing games as being very hurtful when we start thinking about relationships. Right. Yeah. So, but that sort of difference between what we think of and that, when we say that, it means someone doesn't care about my feelings. They don't care. They don't, they don't respect and honor me is what we're really saying when we say that, right? Like, I don't want to be something you play yeah, I don't want to be disposable. I don't want to be some little plaything that you toss mm-hmm. around for a right. little while and then just leave over here, you know. Um, but right. it's like, so that kind of idea of it's all a game versus it's all a game when we when we look at La Vita y Bella or or the Looney Tunes clip. Huh. What comes up for you with that? Um, I, I don't know. Um, and I got distracted cause I was like looking up the movie on Netflix. I forget. Um, uh, I don't know. You know, yeah, I guess I kind of, with the whole trickster thing, um, yeah, I definitely can relate to, you know, not wanting to um, have people toy with me, you know, that, that thing of yeah. I want to be taken seriously and I want to be respected. And um, so, yeah, and, you know, and the thing, too, with, you know, the tricksters where you don't really know what they're going to do and, yeah. and, you know, when they're going to be there and when they won't, and, you know, that makes it hard for me to, you know, plan what I'm going to do, right, if they're being unpredictable. So there is a, you know, Mm. it is nice when people are predictable and you know what to expect. So um, so there's an expectation coming in, right? Like, how how are expectations different from shooting, do you think? Are they? Well, you know, there's, I think where it's, there's a differentiation is, is, you know, is there an expectation versus an agreement? So if, um, mm. or should he, you know, so it's like, if I say like, well, I expect you to do blah, 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 but I haven't actually asked you or gotten your agreement that you're going to do that, then that falls into the shooting category, right? Oh I yeah. And my office is thing. full of that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> right. And, and I think that's different than, well, you said you were going to be here at this time to meet me and you weren't, you know, and you didn't bother right. to call or text or whatever. Like that's a different thing because the person made that agreement that they were going to do it. And if they knew they couldn't do it, then they needed to 
you know, call and change the agreement. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And that is a respect issue. Yeah. No, that's true. I really love that distinction. I love that distinction between um, an expectation and an agreement. Yeah, because mm-hmm. if, we've, if we've got expectations and we're not communicating those, then, it, then we're, we're setting traps for people, actually. Right. Yeah. It's really unfair. It's really yeah. unfair. And if we, if we think about flipping that the other way, if someone's expecting things of us and not being clear and then punishing us when we don't, when we don't uphold something that we weren't informed we were supposed to uphold, like, right. that's, can you imagine? Yeah. Like, if you put it in a work situation, it's really easy to see how totally unfair and terrifying that is. And yeah, we do each right. we do it to each other in our relationships all the time. So how how yeah. do we do that with well, our creativity? Like, if we can take I say it back one to more cre- thing before yeah, we, yeah, yeah. before we move on to the creativity. So, um, uh, with oh god, and now I totally it just it went. Oh, that's why I wanted to say it because I was like, I know it's ah. easy if we move on. <laughs> um, all right, never mind, never mind. Go on to creativity. Maybe you'll come back. Those trains come back. So, uh, but yeah, like, so how do we, how do we do that with our own creativity? Do you think? You mean in terms of having the expectations? Yeah. Like, or what do you mean? Ex- Cause okay. So when you, when we're talking about expectations versus agreement, like expectations, especially if there hasn't been an agreement that mm-hmm. it's really easy for me to see how that's trying to control things. Right. And so if we, if I think about like what happens to my creative process when I'm trying to control. Mm. Well, yeah, well, I don't well, trust. One of the things, yeah. Go ahead. And, and one, one of the things that happens with that too is that if you have decided going in, like this is the result I want and this is what it has to be then you are closing off opportunity for something that's even better than that. So true. Yeah, so true. And then we're frustrated and angry with what's coming through because it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not being controlled Mm -hmm. the way we want it to. Yeah. And I think when we, when we think about it that way, it's really easy to see how you're going to completely like, jack your your process right mm-hmm. if we're trying to control yeah. it in a certain way and we're not allowing things i mean and that because if you think about when when like just think about the words we use when it's working oh it was just flowing it's like it just came yeah. through me like like mm-hmm. i was just a vessel and the paintbrush just moved or the pen was flying across the paper or you know, the yeah. notes were My just characters coming. My like, speaking through me. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you have to relax and uh, let go enough to allow that stuff to flow out, for sure. Yeah. And then one, and the, one thing, too, is that when, you're, when you have set an expectation of, well, this is what the result has to be, and then you, let's say you create that result, and then you're, you're even more invested in it, and maybe... You know, someone comes along with some feedback or something of, well, it could be even better if, but, you know, if you're so dead set on, well, but this is what it's supposed to be, then, you know, then you're not open to opportunities to make it even better. Yeah. 
No, very true. It makes me think of um, Elizabeth Gilbert talked about this when she um, when she was in um, Phoenix with Changing Hands and and talked a little bit about the book. And she was talking about the sort of difference between the like crystalline magical butterfly in your mind <laughs> and mm. the paper mache mess that happens <laughs> in real life. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Heavy sigh. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then thinking, too, about, you know, what I just said about that, um, you know, you need to be open to it being something even better than what you had envisioned for it. At the yeah. same time, like, paradoxically, you you want to do the opposite as well, which is to defend the authentic vision of what it's really supposed to be. And, yeah. and, and which seems like totally contradictory things. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's what makes art a challenge is that sometimes you have to do like completely opposite things at the same time. You have to be open to it being something better, even better than what you envisioned for it. Yet at the same time, you have to be the defender of what that thing, that authentic um, work is trying to be. Well, I think the paradox is that if you allow it in all its glorious imperfection to just come forward as it is, mm-hmm. it ends up being better than what you thought it could be. Hey, this is Sarah. Well, we didn't want to leave you guys today without uh, doing our integration station segment, which is where we give you practical tips on how to apply what we've talked about in today's episode. So for today, we've got three questions that you can think about and do a little uh, healthy and blame and shame free self-examination to look at where uh, maybe you can make some changes that might make a difference in your life and especially with the relationships that you have with the people uh, that matter most to you. So the first question is think about where you have expectations uh, especially of other people. You could also have expectations of yourself as well but think about where you have expectations of other people and Ask yourself, has the other person agreed to that? Or is it something that you're assuming that they're going to do or know? Uh, Are you expecting people to read your mind? And usually we don't, like, consciously expect people to read our mind, but we just sort of unconsciously make an assumption that, uh, because it's obvious to us that that's what they should do, that it's going to be equally obvious to them. But that's not always the case. So look for opportunities in your relationships where you can make sure that you and the other person are on the same page uh, as far as what the expectations are. And then you can also have expectations of yourself where, again, you haven't consciously said, um, you know, I have to do this or else. But sometimes we, we sort of put these expectations on ourselves without really fully committing to it. It's just sort of there as a should. But so re-examine the expectations that you've set for yourself and ask yourself, you know, do I want to keep this expectation or revise it or just do away with it altogether? 
Okay, and then for the second uh, question, look at where in your life are you exhibiting trickster energy and where in your life are you exhibiting martyr energy and is that helping or hurting you? You know, are there you know, ways where you have the trickster energy, but maybe it's, it's coming through in a negative way or hurting you in some way. Are you, maybe you don't have any martyr energy in your life or sorry, maybe you don't have any trickster energy in your life and you know, you're really into the serious, more martyr type energy. Um, just again, it's a, you know, not as a way to judge yourself, but just as a lens through which you can do some healthy self-examination and, again, look for ways that you could do things even better than however you're doing them now. And then for uh, the third question is look at where in your life are you trusting versus where are you controlling? Where are you uh expecting to have control or feeling that having control is really important and you're holding on really tight um, and are there some opportunities there for you to to loosen up to let go to invite some of that trickster energy in where you can do things in a more freewheeling kind of way and uh, you know and sometimes what we find I know I found this as I've started using more of the trickster energy in my life is that you know, sometimes the consequences of doing things um, in a less planned or rigorously, you know, where you have set expectations, uh, sometimes, it, you know, it's not that bad to not know what's going to happen or how it's going to turn out. Um, you know, all kinds of interesting things can happen. And, um, you know, most of the situations that we find ourselves in are not life and death. So there's room for experimentation. So uh, just look at where you can um, take what you've heard today and do something with it to make some positive changes that feel right to you. So that's it for today. And um, I want to, before I go, just encourage you to um, go onto iTunes. And if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. And it is up there now. We work through all our technical issues. So we are on on iTunes. And uh, just go to iTunes, click on the podcast section, and then do a search for Kitchen Table Alchemy. And we will come up. And if you enjoy the podcast, Podcast. We would love for you to uh, leave us a review on iTunes so that we can know how we're doing. And of course, because that helps us gain more visibility to other people who are looking for some cool podcasts to listen to. So thank you all so much for joining us. Um, we appreciate that you're listening and we hope that you're getting something valuable out of this. We'll see you around the kitchen table next time. 